Well, good morning, fellowship. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us this Advent season. Today, we celebrate Joy Week, and we have the opportunity to worship our Lord. Would you stand and let's sing this familiar hymn together? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun. Sing it again, joyful, joyful. Joyful, joyful.
let's celebrate that together. Well, good morning, fellowship. Merry Christmas. I am so glad that you are here with us this morning as we continue to celebrate Advent together. And if this is your first time to ever come to fellowship or your first time in a long time, we would love to say hello to you. And so just stop by that central booth in the foyer. We've got people out there that would love to uh, learn your name, hear about your family, and get some information where we could follow up with you and, and help you join our family of faith. Hey, I've got a couple of things that I want to throw your way. So let's talk about 2023, and then we'll talk about 2024. Does that sound fair? A couple of things for 2023. One week from today is Christmas Eve. Can I get a gasp? Can you believe it? Hey, we're going to have a full day that day. Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, and so it is our tradition to have Christmas Eve services. So uh, families, join us in the morning at 9, 10, and 11. So if you show up here at 1030, guess what? Have a cup of coffee and wait till 11. That'll be the plan. And so if you want to do the PJ thing and the stand on your chair and sing thing and the, the rah-rah thing, then come in the morning. But if you're looking to chill, looking for a little more laid back feel, then we'll have our traditional Christmas Eve services at 6 and 7 p.m. Now, if you come in the morning, do you need to come back in the evening? You don't have to do that. You can count the morning as your service that day. In fact, it would help us with some seating issues. And so we're asking you to come to one service that day, even though it's a church day. And so join us for Christmas Eve. We would love to have you. Also, it is the year in and at Christmas time, Fellowship does the gift. And so the gift is an opportunity for you to give uh, to the Lord above and beyond your regular giving. And we've got envelopes on each of the doors as you exit today. And we'd love for you to pray about making a special gift to the Lord through fellowship. And what we do with that is we give that to the elders and they decide how to distribute that both internally for some things we're doing here at fellowship, but also externally as we share that money uh, around Northwest Arkansas, around the nation and around the world. And so participate in the gift. We would love uh, for you to be able to join us in that effort. Now let's talk about 2024. We've got some great offerings to help you grow in your faith. In fact, our training center ministry, which exists to help equip us for life and ministry, has three main classes spun up for next year. Uh, the first one will be just join Robert Cup as he continues to walk us through panorama of the Bible, and then he's drilling down deep on each of the movements in biblical history. And so we've got Panorama Plus, and he's doing the return from exile. That'll be at the nine o'clock hour. And then we're gonna do some theology next semester. So if you'd like to join us for our faith, then you can learn more about some of the deeper issues of the faith with our team. I'll be teaching in there as well as others from the Rogers team. And also we've got a class on finances. So Align Ministries will be coming in February and there's a great class there where you can learn about your finances, how to be generous and how to think out towards the future. So we've got some great things. Also in 2024, we've got some help for your marriage. And so our re-engage ministry 
We'll be kicking off a new session. And if you need some help just in enriching your marriage, or maybe you need some help in saving your marriage, this would be a great place for you to come. Sunday evenings is a safe space for you to come and talk healthy marriage here at Fellowship. So you can find signups for all of those online. Hey, would you stand with us right now? And let's continue to express our Advent hope and joy as we sing.
the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we read back on this and we see the promise of the Messiah. God with us, Emmanuel. So let's sing this out together.
Brightly shining, 
with me for the reading of God's word. From Luke chapter two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Let's sing this gospel message, this Advent message this morning. So we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Oh 
A week from tomorrow. Are you ready? It's Christmas. Even saying that, I know it causes some of you to be stressed out, doesn't it? You don't have all your Christmas presents purchased yet. Some of you get really excited. For some of you, that just magnifies maybe some pain in your heart. You've got the grief and the loss of a loved one, or you've got a uh, relationship that every time this year, or every time of year, this time of year, seems to bring up that's difficult for you, or maybe you have an unhealthy habit. What, wherever you're at, we are glad that you're here. See, Christmas seems to magnify everything. And this morning, we're looking at one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. And then hopefully, I'm going to put a little twist on it this morning and that you'll really enjoy it. So whether you're in a good place or a hard place, we are glad you're here. At Fellowship, we, we, have, we don't have a lot of traditions, but one of the traditions we do have is we celebrate Advent. And Advent means the coming of Jesus, the, the arrival, uh, God with us. And we spend a lot of time celebrating Jesus' first Advent where he came in a manger. But we're also going to look this morning just for a minute at his second Advent, his return and wait as we wait with hopeful expectation. This morning we are looking at a familiar passage, Luke chapter 2. If you want to open your Bibles, you can turn there. You're familiar with it. Pat read it just a minute ago, but I've got a question for you, a twist, if you will. That three things I'm going to introduce, and as you, as you see these, I hope you don't ever think about them the same again. What does a, a scepter and a house, or to be more specific, a royal house, and a cloth have to do with the manger and the birth of Jesus. You see, there's this, this thread throughout all of Scripture. I wish we could go back and just look at all the prophecies, but there's this thread, this messianic thread. Some might call it a scarlet thread. It's woven throughout Scripture, and today we're going to jump back and we're going to look at a few of these passages that look forward to the coming of Christ. If you've never seen some of this before, it may blow your mind. But what does a scepter, and a scepter is not a sword. When I, th I started thinking about that, I first think of the lightsaber. It's not a lightsaber. It's not a sword. It's actually, it's not really used for much. It's like a staff, like you would imagine, maybe has some jewels on it. It's what a, a king would possess to represent authority and power. And when one king would conquer another king, it would be customary for him to take that king's scepter to show that the authority and power has passed to the next king. You know what a house is. A royal house might be a house of a king, a castle, and then a cloth. 
Through his divine providence and plan, God weaves this messianic thread through the whole of Scripture. Now, here's how one theologian would define, define providence or divine providence. Divine providence is the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. And so we're going to start our study. We're going to look at this scepter. We're going to go back 4,000 years. 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. And you might know the story. There's, some, there's uh, Jacob and his 12 sons, and you remember the coat of many colors? It gets, Jacob, it gets Joseph, his son, in trouble, doesn't it? That his, his sons, uh, other than Joseph, were jealous of Joseph, and so what'd they do? They threw him into a pit, and then they sold him into slavery. It's a, it's a very traumatic time in the, in, the, in the nation of Israel, God's people. And what's interesting is Joseph ends up in Egypt, doesn't he? And through some divine kind of prophetic events, um, he ends up being in, having a lot of authority. And then the rest of Joseph's family, Jacob and his 11 other sons, actually end up in Egypt as well. And the family's reunited, and we see them restored, and there's lots of forgiveness that happens. And then they live some peaceful years, but at the time of Jacob's death, we're going to pick up this story and you'll see the scepter enter the story. And at the time of Jacob's death, he's going to bless his 12 sons. And some of the blessings don't seem much like blessings. As a matter of fact, if you read them, you might feel pretty good about how your family's going so far. But I want to look at one, and it's his son Judah. And it's an interesting blessing. After saying several really good things about Judah, he says this in verse 10 of Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah. That's interesting, isn't it? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. You see, the scepter is not so much about just power. It actually has to do with a person. It's the person of Christ that's coming in 2,000 years from that time. But he's going to come in the line and the lineage of Judah. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 60, verse 7, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, and Judah is my scepter. The writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 1, but you But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You see, it's not so much just the power, it's actually pointing to a person. But there's another time we see Jesus and a scepter in Scripture. If you go to the Passion Week, and this time the scepter is not so much representing power, it's actually representing punishment. It's, it's, it's the ultimate mocking. If you look at Matthew chapter 27, and where Jesus is being beat, it says, They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff representing a scepter in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff, the scepter, and they struck him on the head again and again. You see, it's the ultimate mocking. 
the baby born in a manger who was given this scepter of power and authority is now being beat with it. And the reason he's beat with it is to take on your and my sins. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Here's what you see. Whether it's Judah or Jacob and his sons and Judah, whether it's Mary and Joseph in the manger, or whether it's Jesus being obedient headed towards the cross, here's our big idea this morning. Divine providence, it should propel obedience. And here's the deal. We've all got a part to play. God's divine providence, his control, his, his care, and his leading throughout the, the land, it should propel our obedience. Although there wasn't a scepter present at the birth of Christ, you'll see this proverbial scepter being passed to Christ at his birth. I think Joseph knew it. I think Mary knew it. There are even some government officials who knew it when they were hunting for them and killing all the, the boys Jesus' age. See, they knew this authority was being passed. Look at Luke chapter 2 with me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So we see that there's, there's this census being taken place. I think a lot of what this first verse is relating to, the first and second verse there, is simply a time stamp. It's telling us kind of when this happened. It's, it's actually given some authenticity or authority to this passage. It might be like you said, you know, that took place while Governor Hutchinson was governor. Now we have a different governor. Or you might say, well, well that happened during the Obama presidency. It's something like that. Picking up in verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. You see, Luke's account of the birth really contains kind of three things. First, it's that, that, that current political environment piece. He puts the, the time stamp on it. Then there's this importance of the town of Bethlehem. It's very important. We'll talk about that in just a minute. That has to do with the, the house, the royal house. And then there's a humble setting that seems to be really important, the manger scene. The text talks about um, Mary and Joseph making their trip up to Bethlehem. It was, it was probably an 80 to 90 mile trip where they walked or possibly rode a donkey. And, and, and so that they're making the trip and it says up to Bethlehem. What's interesting it's very likely that Bethlehem was south of, of Nazareth. That'd be really hard for us Southerners, wouldn't it? Because when we go north, what do we say? I'm going up, yeah. When you're going to, to Florida, you're going down. And so it wouldn't be so much a directional thing. It would actually be more of an elevation thing. You see, when you're walking everywhere, you're thinking less about direction and more about elevation. So they're headed up to Bethlehem. Here's what the prophet Micah says about Bethlehem. But you... Bethlehem, Ephathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 
See that? Though you are small among the clans of who? Judah, yeah. 800 years prior to Christ. So we had, we had 2,000 years prior to Christ. Judah, the scepter's passed to him. His, his father says until he comes. Then 800 years before Christ. This is the time when the nation was divided into two nations. It's about to enter into exile. Micah makes this prophecy. And then we see in the passage, look with you again at verse 4 of Luke chapter 2. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. It's really an interesting tag there. So why would Mary make the trip with Joseph? It could be because she didn't want to have the baby alone. It could be to spare embarrassment. Probably most likely it's, it's to fulfill Scripture that they knew what was going on, that the the scepter was being passed, that the fulfillment of Scripture was happening. And so this town of David becomes very important, Bethlehem. If um, If you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, it's really fascinating. I encourage you, to read it. But if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, what you see is, is all the people listed in his family tree. And for some of those, you know, some think that that family tree comes together sometimes with Jesus, with Mary and Joseph. That's probably not too far-fetched for us from Arkansas. Sometimes our tree comes together. But, but if you look at this, um, you go up here, you see um, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he talks about Judah. Judah being Jacob's son. And if you go down, you'll see Judah's great, 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 great grandson is King David. And if you keep going down the passage, you'll see that King David's great, 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 great grandson is Jesus. You see there's this line. And if you look at some of the names, some you recognize, some you don't, some are incredibly powerful. You wouldn't believe they would be in the, the, the genealogy of Jesus, but they are. Because this thread, this messianic thread, who's, who's done through people like you and me. You see, God in his divine providence, he propels people towards obedience. He uses people like you and me to accomplish his will. Look at what the angel said to Mary about her pregnancy. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over who? Jacob's descendants. His son Judah. Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The words son of the most high there would point uh, to the son of God. Matter of fact, here's what one theologian said. In Semitic thought, a son was a carbon copy of his father. So the phrase son of was often used to refer to one who possessed the qualities of his dad. You see, Jesus possessed the qualities of God. And then it says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. It's powerful. This is what the angel said to Mary. Well, about 1,000 years before Christ, so we went back 4,000 years. 
Then we came up to 800 years before Christ. We're going to step back to 200 years to, to the time of David. This is really cool because what's going on here is we're going to look at the life of David coming up this spring. And I'm going to give you a glimpse of it for just a minute. The, the scene here is where David, he, he feels compelled to build God a house. You know, the, the Ark of the Covenant, it, it had dwelt in the tents for so long. And David says, I want to build God a house of cedar. And so Nathan says, well, go do that. And then the Lord says to Nathan, tell David not to build the house. Matter of fact, here's what God says. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. But then he goes on to tell him, but you won't build me a house. Do you remember the passage? Who's going to build the house? Solomon. But you see, that's only a near future fulfillment. Solomon's going to build the temple, isn't he? The far future fulfillment, listen to this, the far future fulfillment is this. The Lord declares that you, to you, that the Lord himself will establish or build a house for you. You see, what, what God says is, you're not going to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. And what you're going to see is the house is not so much a place, the house is a person. It's a people. You see, he's, he's speaking of the birth of Christ. Look at verse 16, your house, your dynasty, your family, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. See, it's so easy to look at Solomon's temple, isn't it, and go, oh, that's what he's talking about, and he is, but there's this also this far future fulfillment like so often there is in Scripture. Let's go back to the Christmas story. Look at verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, the, the great, great, great grandson of Judah, the great, great, great grandson of, of David. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, remember that, and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. While the time came for the baby to be born in Bethlehem, and if you know anything about Bethlehem, it was a small town, probably didn't have a lot of availability for those traveling. It was, everything was full. Mary gave birth and wrapped Jesus in cloths and placed him in a manger. You know, people put babies in cloths and, and blankets for several reasons. One, it, it mimics the womb. Another reason, it's thought that they wanted, back in the day, they thought they wanted to keep the, the limbs straight. So if you keep them real tight, and wrap them up real tight, the limbs will be straight. But I think there's so much more to this. You see, the next time we see a cloth in Scripture, it's not about a baby or a birth. It's a, it's a much harder time. It's, she wrapped him in cloths. Let's look at the next time that Jesus will be wrapped in cloths. It says this, now, there was a man named Joseph. This is a different Joseph from his dad. It's a, he's a high, upstanding man, a, a member of the, the council, a good, upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. 
He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So you have this man who was part of the, the ruling council that did not consent to the decision that, the, the, that they were making to, to put Jesus to death. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. So this is after Jesus was put to death. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. You see, there's a scepter, a scepter of authority and power that not only represents power, it also represents a person. That scepter is talked about through the line of Judah and ends up with Jesus, the he that he will come. There's a, there's a house that God promises um, uh, David that he will build. David, you're not going to build this. I'm going to build this for you. And that house is not only a place, it's really much more a person. And then you look at the cloth. It, it, it held the baby Jesus. And it wasn't so much a cloth that held a person, but it's what happened to the cloth later. Scripture says that when Simon Peter arrived at the tomb to check on Jesus' body, what happened? It wasn't there. The cloths were lying on the ground that Jesus' body was gone. He had risen. He had raised from the dead. And here's what we know. Divine providence, it propels, might I say, demands obedience. And we've seen that thread, that messianic thread, all throughout Scripture. And I think for a time of year like this, Christmas time, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, it should encourage us as well. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for how you are in control of everything. That your providence, it's just overwhelming to us and it should propel our faithful obedience. Lord, we know this is a difficult time of year for people. It can be stressful It can be challenging. But Lord, I pray that you would turn our focus to you. Lord, the songs we sing, the words we read, Lord, help them to focus us on you. Lord, your providence should propel our obedience.
cast out our sin and enter be born in us today we Fellowship. Um, my name is Anya Harris, and joining me up here is my husband, Courtney. And we have two of our four children here with us this morning. These are my sons, Evan and Eli Ansley, and our family together is going to light that Advent candle of joy this morning. Courtney's going to read for us from Romans 15 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I meditated on this um, scripture this week, I recalled moments in my life when joy was the overwhelming emotion. And you might think, okay, that might be the day that we got married or the days that my children were born. And those were joyous days, but what I remember most is when joy was the overwhelming emotion even when life was hard. Because the hope found only in Jesus gave me joy in the pit of crippling anxiety and depression, in the devastation of a divorce, in the chaos that we all experienced during COVID. And it gave us joy in the complicated grief after the sudden death of my boy's father. You see, joy gives us strength because our hope is in Jesus. So as we light the candle of joy, I want you to remember that Jesus gives you the joy that you want and need because we have hope in our future through him. Think again for just a moment, that manger scene, and that teenage mom and dad, that proverbial scepter being passed to a baby, a house being built, or maybe better said, a baby being born, wrapped in a cloth, the providence of God. The, the book of Revelation speaks of Jesus' second advent, his return. Revelation 5.5 5 says this, 
Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The providence of God invites you and me to be part of his wonderful purposes and plan. Fellowship, at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' first advent. The scriptures point to it, the angels proclaim it, and we celebrate it. We are called to live faithfully, joyful, with joyful expectation of his second advent and return. Stand with us and sing joy to the world. Joy to